Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. How many times, be honest now, how many times have you avoided doing something because you were afraid? Akshay Nanavati is an ultra runner, former Marine, and the author of Fearvana, a really cool book. You can even count the Dalai Lama among his friends. Believe it or not, Akshay is in the middle of a self-imposed challenge to run from border to border of every country in the world. And today, he's here to show us what we're really capable of as human beings. Before we get to the interview, here's a review that just came in from Sally. She says, I'm a regular listener of Abel's podcast and I love it. I bought the wild diet based on the fact that I love the podcast and I'm glad I did. This book is one of the best in the paleo realm of literature. I am sharing it with everyone I know. Sally. Sally, thank you so much for sharing it with everyone you know. <laughs> That's a dream come true. If you're looking for a, a health book worth sharing with some tasty recipes in it as well, check out The Wild Diet for sure. And uh, thank you for all, all your support. I mean, I know a lot of you have already uh, gotten that book and read it and shared it with, with friends, left reviews and that sort of thing. And I just can't thank you enough. Because that's how we do what we do. And uh, that's how we keep doing what we do. So many more shows to come and much more fun to come. And maybe some more books to come as well. I accidentally wrote a book of poetry that I'll be releasing soon. Now, uh, how about you? If you had any luck with eating the wild way, living the wild way? Or uh, have you started exercising again? Are you back to your high school weight? Have you cleared up health problems? Let me know. Just uh, shoot me an email. Best way to do it is go to fatburningman.com, sign up for the email list, then reply to the email that I send to you with a bunch of good goodies in it. But if you don't want to do that, you can also just type in A-B-E-L at fatburningman.com and uh, let me know how you're doing. Also, let me know what you would like to learn more about so that I, I can invite your favorite people onto this show, you know, because at some point you run out of people to talk to. So definitely don't be shy. Get in touch. Now, you may have heard that for the past year and change, I've been secretly recording over 400, 360 VR virtual reality music videos. Some of them are music videos. A lot of them are adventures. But I, I started up uh, a couple more shows that you may not have seen yet. So if you just wait until the end of this episode, you can hear an original tune that uh, was recorded in virtual reality, but we're just giving you the audio here. It's called Cook Up Your Veggies and Bacon Fat. And it's pretty much the closest to the answer to health in one sentence that you could possibly get. So I hope you enjoy that one. Now, we've also been sharing nature hikes that you can watch and explore in 360 VR, whether you're on your phone, computer, or those goofy 3D virtual reality goggles. I'll be posting a brand new 360 virtual reality video every single day for a year, probably even longer than that. So ablejames.com, go check it out. And if you'd like to support this free show and all of our music videos and free virtual tours, head on over to wildsuperfoods.com to get your own health-boosting goodies. This is not some weird outside sponsor that's controlling our messaging. <laughs> we started up our own venture to be our own sponsor to keep our message pure for you folks and, and preserve truth on this show. So if you'd like to support us, there are various ways, but checking out Wild Superfoods is definitely one of them, and we hope you like it. All right, on to the show. In this episode with Akshay Nanavati, you're about to learn the monumental mistakes we make in trying to be happy and what to do instead, one trick to breaking any habit, why he volunteered to run across every country in the world, and tons more. 
Let's go hang out with Akshay. All right, folks, Akshay Nanavati is an ultra runner, former Marine, and author of Fearvana. He's in the middle of a self-imposed challenge to run from border to border of every country in the world. Today, he's here to show us what we're really capable of as human beings. Akshay, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show, brother. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course. So I know you're stateside right now, but catch us up. Where are you at in, in your running adventures? I'm at nine countries. I just got back from running 167 miles across Liberia. It was just under a marathon a day for a week. And then we did two weeks of humanitarian work out there. That was, wow. I mean, this is why I love long distance running and why I chose this. And especially Liberia was a true representation of this. Within a short time frame, you get to live a lifetime's worth of experiences. Running becomes this microcosm for life, you know, right. the intense highs, the intense lows, experiencing a new land, new people, all of it. And uh, I was blessed to experience all of that, especially in Liberia. I totally agree with you. I don't do it as much anymore because I live in the mountains at altitude, but when I was living, especially in Texas, I ran all the time, many marathons, and and even before that, living in New Hampshire, I was I was running all the time, and it's one of the best ways to see the world. I think it's one of the most human ways to see the world, isn't it? Because it's it's like you can almost. I remember, for example, I was uh, with my parents in Florida, and they live in Saint Augustine, and I ran from like Ponte Vedra or almost Jacksonville, which is up the coast, like 45 minute drive or whatever. And basically I just ran my own marathon with my dad as a training marathon. And I'm like, holy Lord, you know, like when you finish that, you realize that on your feet, you can cover major distances, pass all these landmarks. So for the people who might not have uh, explored running as a hobby or a passion, can you explain a little bit more what that's like? Sure, absolutely. You know, it's just like you said, like, when you do these long distance runs, and I'm, I'm not a good runner for, to, for, by any means. So it's, you know, wherever you're starting, you can get to it. I used to hate long distance running. I mean, I have scoliosis, I have flat feet, I have a blood disorder that transports less oxygen through my body. Like two doctors told me Marine Corps boot camp would kill me because of this. And my body cannot absorb nutrients too well. So I'm not a great runner. I'm not designed to be a runner. But I love it for the spiritual element. Because especially like, for example, running across Liberia, you know, you get to see this new land. And I love the way you said it's a very human experience like many times these little kids would run with me and yeah. sometimes we wouldn't say a word to get uh, at all because maybe they wouldn't speak english or something but we would just look at each other like i have this one picture of this little kid running with me and the smile he has on his face it was this beautiful deep moment of human connection that you feel when you run because there's this intensity there's this human spirit that comes i mean whenever i would pass people and tell them i'm running from the guinea border to monrovia they would be like what <laughs> you know there's this like sense of awe and incredulousness about what you're doing yeah. that immediately creates a camaraderie because as human beings, I mean, it's like to me, that's what our divinity is. It's human. It's our humanity at its finest. And so when we connect at that divinity, it's us rising above our own suffering, rising above our own perceived limitations. We connect at such a deeper level and also just the internal journey of the highs and lows because running, you experience some intense lows. You just, oh, yeah. I mean, I have moments where I'm like, why am I doing this? This is the worst thing ever. My life is miserable right now. But rising above those moments is tremendous. And then you also have those moments where you're just in pure bliss you know running like one day in Liberia it started drizzling and you're in this rainforest and I had just finished running with these two other kids one of these kids who had lost his mom in the war so we had a fairly intense conversation while we were running and then I'm running past him and it starts drizzling and it was literally as high as a high could be you know mm -hmm. it was just 
pure bliss in that moment. And that's why I personally, I mean, again, running is obviously not the only way to exercise, but I love that it becomes a microcosm for life. You get to experience everything that a, like an entire lifetime has to offer. Yeah. And it's really, really spiritual. And one of the things that also happens is, is you leave everything at the door. You're not, or, or you're not running with a pack, are you? Maybe you have a little bit with you. Not with it, it depends. So uh, in this case, I did not run with the Camelback because again, the extra weight. It was the first time I had run 167 miles in a week or anything more than 100 miles in a week. Yeah. So it was uh, pushing myself for sure. So we had actually have a vehicle support crew, and cool. even like my my buddy who was the camera guy on the crew, we became so close because he would run with me. And now he's coming to India, and we're helping take care of his son through a heart surgery. So we became so close, like he's my brother, you know. Yeah. And they bond that formed as a result of that that was tremendous well it's so interesting because in the in the modern world it's like when you're showered and dressed up and you have all your work stuff or whatever it is then it's like you're not going to go for a run in the rain especially right but when you're out there and you've already been running for a while it's the it's the highest high you could ever have it feels the best you're free and also there's something strange that happens where it's like if you were to not have your your jacket or your briefcase or your backpack or whatever in the real world when you're showered and you have your work stuff or whatever, then you're like, you feel naked. You feel like you don't have something. You don't have enough. But a weird thing that happens is, is if you're moving, if you're hiking or if you're running and you're out there, you're like, I have everything I need most of the time anyway, if you have enough to drink and like, you know, but you feel like this is enough. Right. I don't need more stuff. I don't need to buy anything. I don't need to be on social media or what have you. It's like this is living. Right. There's a purity. I mean, 100 percent. There's a purity to that experience because you're so present. You just are. You know, there were other days, too. Like I think it was day four, day five of the run where I was not in bliss. I was not in a low. I was just I just was. The time went by like this and there was – so again, you experience all of this. But but like you said, it's it's so pure, that experience, because you're not thinking about – it kind of sh- sheds all those facades. You're not thinking about necessarily you know all the other things you have to worry about in your life. Your target is just one target. Life is simple. It's reduced to the simplest thing, you know, that one target in front of you. And that's beautiful. There's a purity to suffering too. That's why I love it. Like when you suffer, when you seek out that worthy suffering, as I like to call it, it just reduces everything else. It shut, shuts down all those, those facades we put on in life, and it just brings out you. And I love tapping into that spirit within myself and seeing it in others as well. Like my buddy Jacobs, who was the camera guy, he would run with me. And one day he got into that space where you know he was struggling with IT band pain, shin splints, because he had never run before. And wow. he was running almost a half marathon a day for a couple of days. And he got into that space where he just was suffering. You could see him hurting, but he pushed through. He rose above it and fought through. We actually had, I told the camera guys, like, film him. I'm going to move to the side. We put a mic on him so he could kind of narrate what's going through. And he got so emotional, he started tearing up. Yeah. And the power of that moment and witnessing that in him. And I had my own moments like that as well when I had this intense pain shin and I just tapped into something within myself. Like that those, those five miles I ran with those pain with the pain in the shin was the fastest five miles I ran in the entire trip. So when you tap into that space, there's something so pure. You are just completely one with yourself, one with the land. And there's a true alignment and oneness of all that is. And that's tremendous. Along those lines, I think I have notes here right here you wrote uh in your book gdp increased more than 50 percent in the past 30 years and happiness decreased around five percent what's that about more money more choices more progress as they say all sorts of more we have more everything right but what's what's the matter why aren't we as happy the more we – this is the biggest beef I have with the way we are – as human beings, we, are, we seem to seek out our evolution and progress. By making our lives easier, we are not making our lives better. 
Mm. Easier is not better. We are mm -hmm. seeking the easiest way to things. Like, I mean, even in exercise, obviously you know this, but there's so many things out there about the fastest way to get the result. You know, like you can walk 14 minutes a day and you'll look like this super model physique. You know that it takes a lot more than that. Sure. I mean, I train like a beast and it takes a lot to, to get to that, you know? And so what, what the whole point of that is, is missing is that it's not the result that matters. It's the person we become on the journey. That's why we see people who win the lottery lose their money rapidly and it doesn't improve the quality of their lives easier right. because it's not just the end result. It's the struggle. It's the person we become in the struggle to achieve that end result that really matters. But we live in a world that's constantly trying to push making our lives easier and easier and easier. And then we have the paradox of choice, right? With too many choices, we don't know what decision to make. This is, again, why I love long distance running. It's simple. You have one purpose, one target. I mean, to me, I had no doubt in my mind that I would finish the run across Liberia. The only doubt that I had was the degree of suffering I would endure in order to finish that run, you know? But there's that's that's why we need to, and I call it finding your worthy struggle, which is what, I mean, you mentioned my book, what Fearvana is all about is finding that worthy struggle. What is your path? I don't like that term, follow your passion, because it often conveys the idea and passion, nothing wrong with passion. It's good to have passion for your for your path, but it often conveys the idea that life will be filled with sunshine and rainbows and it'll be magical and easy. And I hear this all the time with kids that I interact with, but it won't, you know, there will be a struggle. And that's not a bad thing. It's the biggest flaw that we have in our well-being collectively is our negative relationship to suffering as a whole, whether you call it fear, stress, anxiety, struggle, adversity, however you put it. When we alter that relationship and build a positive relationship, not only can we handle life when it punches us in the face, but we can handle whatever challenge we're seeking and it's in that growth that matters like the journey is the destination it's not just about getting to monrovia right like uh, in my run like it wasn't just that i moved 167 miles if that was the goal i could have driven it you know yeah. it was it was the person i became in the suffering of, of enduring that 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 mattered and it's the same thing for any of us in whatever path we're seeking that's why we're that's why we're seeing more challenges than ever before in terms of mental health obesity whatever it may be because mm -hmm. we're trying to make our lives easier and easier is not better and also i was thinking about this we do have more choices, but the choices aren't necessarily better. And they're not the choices that like we ourselves as humans might choose. It's more the choices that are set up for us by mm. marketers, politicians, people who want us to buy their products usually or, or whatever it is. Right. It's like, yes, we have more choices, but who like turns on the television, for example, is just like. This channel is perfect. I wouldn't add or take away anything. It's just great the way it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if if yeah. if humans were to set up their own choices, it would be a lot different. Which ones do you think would would be different for you? If if we were setting up this world, the choices that we have. I love that you said that, and that's so true, you know, because I think it requires this – and I myself have to be relentlessly aware of this because we are so at the effect of the of the, uh, the the information that we're bombarded into our subconscious. There's a great quote that I love from this book, The Psychology of Man's Possible Evolution, where he says man is a machine, but a very peculiar machine. He's a machine that when recognizing he is a machine, he can cease to be a machine. And mm. the point of that is that we are machines in that we are – purely operating from our subconscious that like you said that information is being bombarded to us about how to live about what will make us happy from the world from marketers from politicians about what to be afraid of all of it right and uh, and as a result we we unless we exercise that self-awareness to rise above and recognize that you know this this machine-like brain that we live in and we're being bombarded by this information we we're trapped by it so another quote which i absolutely love i think this represents is carl jung he says until you make the unconscious conscious it will direct your life and you will call it fate 
So for me, it's that relentless practice of noticing, is this a path that I choose? Is this a path that's being implanted into me about what, what will make me happy, you know? And relentlessly practicing this, this awareness about separating myself from my subconscious, my machine-like brain, and noticing, is this my path? And now I've only figured this out. Like now I'm so clear on my path. It brings me joy. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I have plenty of moments of anxiety, of, of low moments that I battle with on a regular basis. And I've learned to embrace those moments and, and, and channel that. But now I'm very, very clear on my path. Like I don't, I stay off. I don't have cable TV. I, I'm, I'm very conscious about the subconscious uh, messages that are entering my brain. So I'm not letting them, you know, affect me. And that way I'm directing myself where I want to go. So what I surround myself with people that, that are on my path, whether it be fitness and entrepreneurship are sort of my main two journeys. And I immerse myself on that. And I'm always looking at patterns from things that, okay, like why did, for example, going to war in Iraq, why was there a kind of peace in that war that I struggled with in the real, like when I got back mm -hmm. from the war, I struggled. I was diagnosed with PTSD, struggled with alcoholism, mm -hmm. got to the brink of suicide. So what was it about war that I found peace in? And I started going, I call it going meta. So like right above the experience to notice the experience to understand the experience to look for patterns and i'm always looking for patterns and experiences that resonate so that way i'm consciously making my own choices okay this experience brought me this joy brought me this pain what was it about that experience that brought that led to these experiences that led to these states these emotions how can i then replicate that in the future so essentially all growth is two things find the problem fix the problem find what's working and do more of it and i'm always doing that <laughs> what's yeah. the problem what's the gap like when i broke i broke my sobriety a bunch of times same thing what's the problem what's the gap find the problem fix the problem and there obviously was things that's working so let me enhance on those things and that's like that's all that i'm focused on and that allows me to choose my own path as opposed to being like a machine and having that path be directed for me yeah and a lot a lot of people are just like i'm waiting to choose my own path for we can get into the reasons why but even once you do it's not all butterflies and rainbows, like you said, and you actually you don't want it to be anyway, because it's almost I, I've actually been reading this book uh, about ancient mythology that's from the 40s or something. I got it at some thrift shop at the same time that I'm reading uh, or, or that I read Fearvana, which was interesting because there were a lot of corollaries. Mm. And mm. I was reading about Norse mythology and how about Valhalla, their version of heaven is not supposed to be happy. It's basically they all know that once they sit with the gods or they become gods or whatever, they're going to be destroyed by some other prophecy that comes afterwards. But they find solace in that. They find peace in that because they have purpose. So yeah. I, I saw some corollaries with what you're teaching as well. Love it. No, that's so awesome. I love the the Norse version of Valhalla. It fascinates me too. I've, I've, I've read a little about a little bit about that. And it's and and that's exactly it. You know, it's we're seeking easy, but easy will not be make it worthwhile. It's through the suffering that we transform. A rebirth kind of thing happens when we learn to tap into that suffering and rise above it. I think at least once a week we should be going into a space where we get into a battle between two versions of ourselves, like the one self that wants to quit and the other that wants to keep fighting. And the more that self wins the battle, the more we can continue to evolve and rise into the new awakenings. You know, I think new awakenings happen by by pursuing a struggle, by seeking out suffering. It's not something to be demonized. And it takes some practice, of course, but the more we build a positive relationship to that, 
the more we're able to handle life, whether it hits us. And that's why it's actually not just like seeking it out, but digging deep when it hits. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I said, you know, I struggle with anxiety from time to time still. And I battle survivor's guilt from when I came back from the war. So today when it hits, what I often do is I'll watch clips from war movies and knowing that they will make me cry. And they do. They tear me up every single time. But sometimes I'll watch these clips because I dig deeper into the pain. Because by being so fully with the pain, it actually subsides. Because then now I'm no longer affected by the impact of it. I've become one with it. And by unifying with that pain, I'm able to rise above that pain in service of the next mission at hand. And that's it's something really beautiful to be able to to become one with our pain, with our joy, with everything, with all of that, and really align entirely with the self. And you're right. Experience is so important there because you start to realize what your body what your mind, what your spirit, emotions go through before Mm -hmm. any challenge. And so when you first go up on stage to perform or when you first like go down that ski slope, you know, fight or flight is a real thing. You know, you you definitely feel that and you want to run away. (laughs) What people don't necessarily realize, though, is like, for example, just the other day I did a live stream improv with Abel. I'm doing this new show series where I'm just making stuff up on musical instruments on like 15, 20 different musical instruments. I'm reading poetry for the first time. Some of it will ruffle ruffle some feathers and all that. (laughs) And so it's like, I just did this the other night and right before I'm just like, this doesn't happen to me that much more anymore, but just, just because I perform so much, I record so much and like, and I'm just like, I don't want to do this. I, I should just not do this. And like that, that flight thing really came strong and I'm just like wanting to run away. But I noticed it, uh, in a way that was different because I've, I've gone through that so many times in my life at this point that I'm like, Oh wow. Hello friend, you know? And, and as you mentioned in your book, that doesn't have to be something that you squish down and turn into nothing and take all that energy away. Instead, you can kind of like hold the hand of that energy and walk toward a better performance, hopefully. Use that as excitement, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way you put it. You know, you said you're kind of saying hello to it. You're noticing it. You're, you're, but you noticed it. And that means you're not letting it affect you. You're not letting it overwhelm you. Because often what happens is we define ourselves by our emotions, by our states, by our experiences, that we don't realize there's a space between our emotions and that conscious higher self. You know, I know I quote a lot, but Viktor Frankl, he wrote Man's Search for Meaning, one of the greatest books of all times. And he says, like, one, I think this quote kind of summarizes what it takes to live a happy, meaningful life. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space lies our power to choose our response, and in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So that space, like exactly what you're saying, there's the stimulus of fear, and we don't control it. Neuroscience, spirituality has, has shown we don't control what first shows up in our brain. So if I'm standing in the edge of a cliff and I feel fear, or if I'm in a room and somebody comes in with a gun, it's natural to feel fear, right? It's okay to feel, it's normal to feel that fear, but it's that stimulus, and there's a space between that. Often we don't recognize there's a space and we just react to our emotions because we're becoming one with it without actually consciously becoming one with it in a sense of how we're going to choose to engage it. It just overpowers us. So uh, when we do exactly what you're saying, we notice it. We allow ourselves then to engage that energy. Like before I do a talk, if I'm not feeling fear, to me there's something wrong. Because again, I've built up at this point now such a positive relationship to fear that I'll, I'll like engage. I'll try to consciously make myself afraid, like thinking about the talk, thinking about the audience. And then when that fear shows up, I know there's a different kind of energy that allows me to bring into my I mean before I do interviews like this I still sometimes feel a little bit of anxiety and so I have a little trigger that I use to set in because it allows me to tap into that space and then channel it into something meaningful in service of the greater good so I love the way you put it is separating yourself from that emotion and and then engaging it 
And one thing that's so fascinating, and I see this happen all the time at almost any place where someone's speaking publicly and there's like a question and answer, right? So like the person's up on stage and they're talking and they're all important or whatever. And then just regular people start coming up to the microphones in the audience and they start talking and asking questions. And occasionally you can hear a little bit of nerves in someone's voice, but like 80, 90% of the time people are eloquent. They are yeah. <laughs> on the ball. They know exactly what they're doing. They're passionate. They sound as good, maybe even better than the speaker who's all important. You know what I mean? And so I think yeah. that that's just an example that I use to help show people that once you do engage that feeling and then and then go forward and then you do ask that question instead of running back to your seat and not asking then it gives you more and more confidence every time you do that and then the next time you know maybe you would have the opportunity to go up on stage and be that big important person you can remember <laughs> back to when you spoke and ask the question on a microphone to that other person right it's like that's how it works over time it snowballs yeah, absolutely. As you keep engaging that fear, as you keep pushing the line, you build more confidence in who you are and in, in that inner spirit within, you know, and you do that by engaging the by engaging fear like you can't have courage without fear. So fear is not something to be demonized. You know, we live in, again, a world of people say, be fearless, don't be scared of things. Right. But that's not. And then what happens is when people feel fear, they think there's something wrong with them for feeling fear. Yeah. Like I worked with this one guy who said, I just need to wait for the fear to go away so I can quit my job and start my business. <laughs> and I said, that's your problem, man. You're waiting for the fear to go away. It is scary to quit a job and start. And who cares when fear shows up? You know, I mean, I'm sitting here in a in New Jersey, comfortable home. Sometimes I still feel scared sitting alone in a house. And it's weird because I've done a lot of dangerous things. You know, yeah. I've been to war. I've climbed mountains, but to me, I don't care when it shows up, how it shows up. What matters is that it's there. What am I going to do with it? And that's and you touched on this point. You know, it's that to move forward. And so a big part of that is what is the clarity? Like something to move forward toward. You know, because often when I do these talks, people say I'm scared of cats. What do I do? I'm like, does it affect you? Do you care? And they're like, no, not really. Then who cares? You know, you don't need to engage every single fear. Sometimes engaging a fear can help you in uh, like increase your confidence. Mm -hmm. But you want to do that again consciously. And then what is waiting for you on the other side of that fear? So having clarity of that mission, clarity of purpose gives you a reason. It gives you a fuel to channel into that fear. So same thing like running across Liberia, winging the Marines, you know, like one in the Marines. One of my jobs was to walk out in front of our vehicle convoys and look for bombs before they could blow up our vehicles. So there was constant fear, but we had a mission. So we always knew what was the target, what were we moving mm -hmm. toward. In Liberia, I was terrified entering a new land, gone through a war recently. You read all kinds of things about it. But so there was fear entering that world, but there was a mission to get from here to here. And it was just about how much suffering there would be in, in order to get there. But, you know, there was clarity of purpose. And that clarity is a big thing in terms of moving towards our fear and, move, and finding out what's on the other side of it. And I think often maybe as a result of all of that adrenaline or, or excitement or nervous energy, people overperform. Like a lot of times, I guess if you get way too into your head – then some things can go poorly. But almost every time, in my experience and the people around me, they overperform. They do better than they ever thought mm. possible. And yeah. But even if you don't, though, you describe a really important psychological, I don't want to call it a trick, but it's, it's a, more of a strategy that you can do to help massage your memories into being nicer to you later. So let's talk about how you can, in the case of, of maybe that biggest embarrassment that people have in their minds of when they went up there and they failed and that that thing might be holding them back. Can you help explain mm -hmm. how to, uh, I, I guess, reestablish those memories in your mind? Because memory isn't even what we think it is. 
Yeah, exactly. So memories are very malleable. And we often think of a memory as if it's like a video camera. So if I'm remembering this event, let's say I was being embarrassed on stage, what happens is we're not actually remembering that event. We're remembering the last time we remembered that event. Mm -hmm. So every time we access a memory, we're actually kind of thinking of it like opening this door and then we're re-entering that and that that changes. The neuronal structure of that memory changes every time we access it. And this is a really valuable thing to understand because what happens is, and this is actually the problems I discovered in my own kind of healing with therapy is that often what happens is every time we go into this past pattern, this like being embarrassed on stage or in my case, navigating some of my survivor's guilt, it was you're entering into this memory from a very disempowered space, from a negative space. And all that's doing is it's reinforcing the sort of that 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 impact of that memory in a negative way mm-hmm. because you're rebuilding this neuronal structure of the memory every single time you access it, right? And so what you want to do is you want to put yourself in a, pow- a powerful state. You can either visualize something in the future, go for an ex- you know, exercise, that's one of my favorites clearly, put get those endorphins going, and then you can then then when you end access that memory, you're actually putting in those chemicals, so let's say like the dopamine and endorphins into this neuronal structure of the memory and you can alter you can start to alter the the content of that memory memories are very malleable there's a great researcher called elizabeth loftus who talks about how she can actually she's implanted fake memories into people mm-hmm. very effectively and very fairly easily too yeah. so it's a really valuable thing that our memories work like this as opposed to say a video camera because it makes it malleable it makes it something we can alter all the time because we want our memories like all the past only matters to the degree that it serves us now and in the future and that's why memories work like this so they can be altered to the degree to who we are now. Mm-hmm. So if we have this past embarrassment, right, and we we engage it every single time from this disempowered space, we're just kind of reinforcing the content and the fuel of that negativity of that memory. But by changing it, by recognizing one, the awareness is the first step, by recognizing that it is malleable, we can then put ourselves in the state, go into this memory, and find new meanings to it, create new meanings to it. So I'll give you an example in terms of my survivor's guilt. Like today, I have a picture of my friend up on my wall, and it says, this should have been you earn this life. So this is an emotion. This was a memory. This was a trigger uh, that was hard for me. It drove me into some dark places. It drove me into alcoholism again until it was a bink of suicide. But by learning all these things about memory, by engaging it differently, I realized that I could alter the meaning to it because ultimately no experience has any inherent meaning. Mm-hmm. We can create, we create meanings to it and the meanings we create shape our destiny. So when we recognize memories work like this, we, we put ourselves in a powerful state. We go back into the past and we're actually realizing that we're going back into the last time we recognize that past. So the memory is now being altered, the neural structure, we're putting, infusing it with that positivity, if you want to call it that. And then we create a new meaning to it from that space. And I've done this with some clients. I've done this with myself all the time. And it it has a lot of power. You can recreate new meanings to your past and find empowering meanings that will then drive you forward. But it's always valuable to remember that the past only matters to the degree that it serves your present and your future. Otherwise, who cares? You yeah. do not need to engage it for years, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Like, how does it affect you now? How can you change those meanings? And then use it to drive you forward. Yeah. And we remember caricatures of the past. We don't remember, like you said, that that videotape, if you have people watched exactly the same thing, 25 to 50% of them will explain it completely differently. Maybe they even saw different things. They might disagree about major things that happen. And that's just the way that we're wired. We are imperfect beings. We don't have perfect brains that see a perfect world. We literally kind of create the world. That's what the brain does. It gives us an approximation. And with memories, it's even worse. And one of the things that happens too when you remember things back and back and back over and over again is we exaggerate them. We turn them into these 
like I said, these caricatures. And so a really interesting thing happened. My, my parents recently, or not that recently, but they moved and I got all these old camcorder tapes and I started digitizing them. And so I saw, you know, uh, some of the plays that I was in when I was like 15 and some of the people who I hadn't seen since I graduated from high school, but like back then in the same way. And it didn't match up with my memories in a lot of it, like the stories that I've been telling myself for 15 plus years or whatever don't match up with what like I can literally see on that videotape. And so it's been a process that I found very uh, healing and valuable to kind of go through some of that old stuff and give your older self or your yeah, your younger self credit. Right. And start to integrate, I guess, your inner child with the understanding that hopefully you've been able to get through experience over the course of your life. Integrating those things makes hopefully makes you a stronger person. It doesn't necessarily make, it doesn't matter if the memories are accurate. It matters like, who are you? Who do you feel like? Who do you want to be? And I can say that going through some of that stuff from the past, even the, the painful stuff, maybe especially the painful stuff is like, wow, if I've been through that, like, why am I worried about traffic now? Or why am I worried about like hateful comments on social media that like my 15 year old self would have punched in the face and wouldn't have cared about, you know? <laughs> and so anyway, when I read that, it's like time traveling to change your past. I could see a lot of people seeing that as a dangerous thing to kind of revisit these, these past horrors or whatever. But actually, in fact, they're there anyway, and you kind of need to go through it and integrate from time to time. Anyway, yeah, it's like that thing, right? Like I was saying, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct mm -hmm. your life and you call it fate. So it's it's invaluable to integrate it, and it is sometimes scary to think that if all our memories are lies and we're just manufacturing it, then isn't everything kind of a lie? Then what do I think? But I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I think that means that we can just create our our memories as we choose them. You know, once we engage them consciously, and like you said, I mean, in terms of you know your own experience about looking at your past, they did the study that I mentioned about nine eleven. How like they did they interviewed people, you know right after 9-11, then a year later, three years later, five years later, and their memory of the event radically changed. Like hmm. sometimes it was small things. Sometimes it was huge differences about where they were when it happened, you know, and it's not like they're lying. They firmly believed it. Their memory had been completely altered about their experience. So it was this kind of this thing about how they're, you know, we can transform <laughs> ourselves and because, and especially when it's something emotionally intense, mm -hmm. because emotionally intense memories leave a deeper scar, if you will, or sometimes just a deeper imprint, whether it's not even a scar, but an imprint in the memory. So when you attach emotion motion to information to a memory it leaves a deeper imprint and so especially those those memories that are challenging for us you can call them whether it be traumatic or even the the positive ones the higher like the the, the ones that make us feel good they leave a deeper imprint in the memory mm -hmm. and so when you engage that you can allow yourself to recognize that and also allows you to then create memories because then you can say okay if, if emotion if i attach emotion to this experience i can create a deeper memory you know and so mm -hmm. uh, it allows you to consciously engage where you want your <laughs> what you want you know, put yourself put put into your long term memory when you attach emotion into it. So navigating those emotionally intense experiences is invaluable because it allow you to direct that as opposed to it directing you, which, like I said, for me, it did, it did for a long time until I became really conscious of some of these barriers that were trapping me into some very dark spaces. Yeah, there, there was another really helpful exercise that I saw in your book that I actually used yesterday during my monster lifts, my strength oh, work, awesome. which is uh <laughs> And I can I can definitely relate. Running marathons, a lot of people are doing a big workout. A lot of people try to visualize being all covered in sweat and happy at the end. And I do that, and it can help. But what's even more helpful <laughs> is what you bring up is in the middle of whatever the hardest thing is, whatever that 
challenge is, is imagining yourself suffering, going through the hardest part and persevering. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember, I think it was mile 16 of one of the marathons I was running, my right my right leg just stopped working. <laughs> you know, it's like started getting spasms and I'm starting to like hobble and, and all this and roadkill is looking delicious because I'm so hungry. <laughs> and that's what I think back to in the times when I question myself, like, am I able to keep going and keep doing this? It's not when I cross mm-hmm. the finish line. It's not. I barely remember that at all. I was probably delirious. It's, it's the middle. It's that struggle. That's when you decide to keep going, I remember people were at this was mile like 14 or something, which made it even harder. People are just like, <laughs> this is I'm, I'm thinking back to one that I ran in Austin. People were holding up billboards. They're just like free margaritas for quitters. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no matter what your challenge is, no matter what your journey is, you're going to keep getting that negative stuff the whole way. Right. And so tell us a little bit more about how we can go through that experience of visualizing the hardest part. Yeah, that's been a game changer for me, too, because we often again, we live in the world that like a lot of the positive thinking and the law of attraction, which there's elements I agree with. But it says, you know, visualize the end result, visualize yourself happy in that dream in that dream house with the million dollars, whatever it may be, or crossing the finish line. And that again, that that has its value in its own way. But I found and research would validate this as well. I mentioned the study in the book that it's far more valuable to visualize the struggle, to visualize the process as opposed to the result, you know, because that process is what's going to get you the result. And that process is going to be the hard part. And so if you immerse yourself in it, like Michael Phelps, for example, he didn't used to visualize himself on the podium. He used to visualize himself swimming. Hmm. And so when his goggles got flooded, I, I can't remember which Olympics, but one of the Olympics, his goggles got flooded. It didn't phase him for a second because in his mind, he was already, he had already done that. You know, and what what our mind perceives as real that intensely is not that different than than when we're actually doing it. You can actually, I mean, they've shown they have these uh, mirror neurons where if I'm watching you throw a ball, it can actually activate my own brain as if I'm throwing it. Uh, it's myself, you know. So when we visualize something, we can activate the same uh, mental patterns if we visualize it that intensely. So Michael Phelps wasn't phased one bit, and he ultimately ended up winning gold. And I think he actually broke the record on that swim, which is insane, right? Because his goggles got flooded. But so I do that with my runs all the time. Like I'll visualize myself in. As I know, every time I do a long run, I'm going to hit a low moment. It's just inevitable. It's it's going to come, (laughs) you know, but preparing for it, visualizing it, understanding it, engaging it allows you to better prepare yourself for the fight that's inevitably going to come. And it doesn't have to be just through exercise. I do this in my business. And when it comes to challenging goals, what is going to be the one big challenge standing in your way? immerse yourself in that challenge, visualize yourself accomplishing it. Like when I skied across Greenland, I spent a month uh, dragging a 190 pound sled for 350 miles across Greenland. I used to visualize myself pulling that sled in, in storms, you know, in minus 40 degrees, visualize that all the time, not as opposed to visualizing myself on the other end of the ice cap. And so mentally, I'm ready for the fight because the fight is what's going to get me there. The end result is just the end result. As you said, you cross the finish line, you know, great. But what's what matters is that 26.2 miles or whatever it may be in the case of running a marathon. You know, it's it's each step of that mile. And when you navigate yourself, navigate that fight in your mind, you'll be far more prepared for the battle when it actually shows up and it will show up. Whatever worthy goal you're engaging, it will show up. Yeah. You mentioned as well as it comes to uh, or as it relates to alcoholism imagining what you'll do, what reaction you'll have when you have a craving like that. Um, you talk about so many different important things throughout the book. Could could you help maybe though, whether it's someone struggling with alcohol, sugary food, or anything else, how do you work through that? 
Yeah. So, you know, whatever, whatever the challenge may be, as I said, the, the number one skill to develop, the number one skill is a positive relationship to suffering. So when it comes to behavior change, you know, we often say things like, uh, there's, I, I often read, I've studied habits a lot. There's an easy way to do it. And I think that's very destructive because again, it conveys the idea that it will be easy, but it won't like essentially behavior change is the process of it to summarize it in one, in sort of one sentence is you engage consciousness to engage awareness to build a new pattern until it becomes subconscious and then you'll find a new pattern in order to recreate it. So you engage the will, you have to be conscious about changing this behavior pattern until that behavior pattern then becomes subconscious, it becomes a habit, and then you constantly go on this journey to keep evolving. So for example, if I'm trying to quit sugary foods or trying to quit alcohol, I'm not gonna put bottles of alcohol in my house or don't buy sugar and put it in your fridge. So without a doubt, setting environmental triggers is invaluable. Yeah. And then then you'll start looking at like, what are my behavior patterns? So when I got sober, I started no- noticing what were the triggers that lead, led me to drinking? Right, like what? What were all the areas where they were drinking? So all behavior is essentially three things: there's a there's a cue, a routine, and a reward. So you're trying to understand what is the trigger. The routine would be in this case drinking, and what was the reward? Right, like so the reward could be different. Sometimes it could be stress relief. Sometimes it could be relaxation. Uh, sometimes it could be joy. Maybe I'm hanging out with friends. So you're trying to understand what are the triggers, what are the rewards, and once you gain that awareness on it, then you can visualize yourself. So I used to visualize myself in all the areas that I knew would trigger drinking, mm-hmm. and visualize myself sober like practicing in my mind, what would it be like to be sober? Why did I want to drink in this scenario? How can I be sober in the scenario where not feel the need? Like how can I still feel joy in that scenario? And then inevitably you got to engage that struggle because there will be moments where you want to quit. So that's why you want to engage that battle between those two parts of yourself and learn how to rise above your feelings. That's why again, exercise is one of my favorite ways. I mean, neuroscience has also shown an exercise is the best thing you could do for your brain. One neuroscientist calls it miracle growth for the brain. Another has said, in fact, I think I was hearing them on your podcast about how exercise is like the, the, if they could put exercise into a pill, it's the best pill you could ever take better than, you know, to solve depression or whatever it may be. But so beyond all the things that it neurologically does for your brain, what exercise does for the spirit, it teaches you to rise above your feelings. Talking about when you hit that low moment, when you run, if you rise above that moment, you've now tapped into a new space. You've evolved into a higher self, Mm -hmm. right? And that will teach you to navigate those moments where you're going to feel like quitting in whatever path you pursue. So developing that positive relationship to struggle Learning to embrace the struggle and whatever the struggle, whatever the context of the struggle may be, is, is a matter of practice. And then, of course, there's little things like I talked about, like visualizing, isolating yourself from the struggle so you can you can understand it. But ultimately, the greatest lessons are in the doing. So you could listen to you. You could listen to me. You could listen to a million podcasts. And that could be a spark, but the greatest lesson is going to be in the doing. And in the doing of that struggle you will tap into a space and something you have within yourself because everybody has it. Everybody has that power within ourselves. We have to discover it by engaging the struggle, by engaging the suffering. And through that, we will discover our ability to keep rising above it. And that builds that confidence. That gives you that fuel to keep stepping into action, to keep following through on your next commitment. But that's like, that's ultimately the fundamentals is developing that positive relationship to suffering. So anyone who's run a marathon or done some sort of insane physical challenge has come up to, or childbirth, I would imagine, has come up to this point where it's just like, I'm not capable of doing this, or like, here's my line, right? And then you just have to go past it, and you do go past it, and you blow past it, and you're like, wow, I I can keep going past that line? So my question is, once you realize that you're capable of much more than, than you may have thought before, how do you make sure you don't blow your knee out? How do you make sure you don't cause permanent damage when you're, I guess, to some degree, you can either engage with the pain or you can disassociate 
right? So like, how do you manage that? How do you make sure you're not causing permanent damage, whether it's, it's physical or mental? Yeah, no, great point. So this ties back into that find the problem, fix the problem. But you want to go specific. So I read this great book, Peak, The Science of Expertise, and there's also another book called Relentless where the guy who, who's worked with like peak performing athletes and what they do is they'll break down the one key thing. So let's say I'm playing golf. One key thing would be, okay, hitting the ball out of the sand pit, right? So you're not navigating the 20 different things that are in uh, or hundred different things that are in a business or in running or whatever, in any pursuit, mm -hmm. there's like hundred different little pieces to navigate, right? So you want to break down one thing at a time. What is the key issue there? What's the challenge there? What's the problem there? And then you are addressing those, those things one step at a time. So there's obviously a fine line between navigating the suffering of I'm hurting versus there's an injury that can right. like in, in, in the running context, right? So to, to your point. So you learn that again through awareness, through practice, through developing a better sense of your body, mind, spirit. Uh, that, that only comes through practice. But you also then start figuring out what is the one gap here? So that's what I've done now. And uh, like now with my running, I, I mean, I went through 20 different pairs of shoes, for example, to figure out what is the right shoe to, mm -hmm. for me to run it. I've recently become sponsored by Hammer Nutrition. They're one of the best companies for endurance athletes in terms of nutrition and supplements. So they have transformed my running. So figure out, okay, what is the right stuff I'm putting in the body? What's the wrong stuff? And you track all this. So tracking is a game change. You want to track everything. Like even whether it be whatever goal you're working on, business, fitness, anything, track it. So, okay, if I eat this, this is how it affected me when I'm running. Mm -hmm. You know, I ran this time. How did I feel? So I log my runs usually on a scale of 10, 0 to 10 in terms of fun and difficulty, uh, which are not all always, uh, uh, you know, like you can have fun and be difficult at the same time. Yeah. So, um, so, but tracking it allows you to understand what is the gap, what's the problem, find that specific problem and address one problem at a time. So same thing in business. I was just emailing somebody yesterday. They were reaching out to me and the questions, so maybe you're not getting enough leads or maybe you are getting enough leads and you're not converting. So maybe the problem is in conversions, you know, or maybe you're converting, but people are refunding. So maybe the problem is in your delivery. So you're understanding where is the specific gap and then you're addressing one gap at a time in order to keep evolving. But one thing to recognize when you're doing this is that progress is not the elimination of problems. Progress is the creation of new problems. So you're never looking for the end of problems because there will really be no end. I mean, we see people who seemingly have everything still struggling, right? Yeah. So there won't be an end. So again, that's not a bad thing because it's only through a new problem that you'll find a new evolution. If you're static and comfortable, you're never going to grow into a higher self, right? Whether it be spiritually, physically, financially, in any way. So when you're looking, so you're looking for the next problem, and you want to keep that in mind, so you're not really saying that, oh, eventually the problems will stop, and that that because that sets you up for like kind of a failure and misery, really more than more than failure. It sets you up for a lifetime of misery if you're expecting that to one day end. But if you set in from the expectations that there's going to be new problems, great. Now let me navigate one step at a time, one problem at a time, and once I solve this one, I'll find the next one, and so on and so forth. And the process is really as simple as break it down, and if you don't know how to do it, find somebody who's doing it mm -hmm. and learn from them. There's obviously enough information, we've talked about that, <laughs> or get their course, listen to their podcast, whatever it may be, find somebody who's done it. That's what I did. I mean, I had worked with an ultra coach for my running, you know? Learn, what is the gap? How do I improve my training? How do I run better? How do I, uh, how do I run faster? in a shorter time frame? How do I put the right things in my body? How do nutritionists help me do that? So finding out from people who know more than you do and in whatever area it may be and then fixing that one problem in order to evolve to the next one. Yeah, I love that. I can't believe it, but we're almost out of time. Before we go, I want to make sure that people can find you and also are aware of all the stuff that you're working on. So tell us a little bit more about your running, your book, and all the other cool stuff that's happening in your life. 
Yeah, now with Fearvana, what I'm doing right now is to build this concept of Fearvana into a global movement through a series of products and services to ultimately help people develop a positive relationship to suffering and then find, live, and love their worthy struggle. So those three areas are what the world of Fearvana is, because then that's really what life is, right? If you find your path, you live your path, and you love that path, that's a path to a happy and meaningful life. I, again, I call it your worthy struggle. So helping people find, live, and love your worthy struggle in order to live a life of boundless bliss, as I call it. So I'm creating like a Fearvana Academy, Fearvana Fitness. Fearvana festivals, Fearvana retreats. I got a nonprofit called the Fearvana Foundation. And building a whole ecosystem around that is the next phase. It terrifies me because I have no idea how to build such a monumental business empire that I have the vision for. But, <laughs> but that's, that's why how you know you have to do it. Exactly. So it's my worthy struggle. So right now, I mean, the Fearvana book is out there on Amazon. Uh, Fearvana.com is where you can find me. All the 100% of the profits from the book are going to the foundation and to charity. So right now, the, the charity we just have been continue to support right now for a little bit is been uh, building the school in Liberia. We built the first sustainable vocational training school in Liberia. Wow. I use my run to raise funds for as well. But we've supported other charities throughout the world and continuing to evolve that and really building out this movement to uh, – help people transform their relationship to suffering because I firmly believe this is the greatest barrier that's standing in the way of our well-being. And if we navigate that, we can collectively live a better life. Your work is so important right now with everyone on their phones, feeling comfortable in a time when things are quite uncomfortable. If you really look at reality, it's we need to take a little bit more responsibility ourselves, I think, to uh, to upgrade our consciousness, I think, to, to yeah. become a little bit more resilient and self-reliant and and your book and your work is definitely doing that so thank you so much and i'd love to have you back on the show when you're running through some other country some, <laughs> some hopefully close to us sometime out here in the rockies <laughs> absolutely and thanks again for having me on the show it was a real honor hey there listener thanks so much for listening to the very end of this episode as a special bonus I'm including a new original song that I made up just for you live on the spot as part of my new improv music video series. I hope you like it. You can check out hundreds of these original songs and more for free at ablejames.com. Here we go.
They taste better that way. Yes! More vegetables! More vegetables! <laughs> oh. Thanks for being here, folks. My name is Abel James. Abel James. And this wonderful performance, spectacular, is powered by Wild Superfoods. Wild Superfoods. Wild Superfoods. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you and Future Greens. Let me ask you this. How many servings of veggies have you had so far today? Hmm, how about this week? Like it or not, recent studies show that 9 out of 10 of us do not eat the recommended amount of daily fruits and veggies. Now, if you're one of those uncompromising health nuts who gets more than 10 servings of veggies a day, you can ignore what I'm about to say. Now, for the rest of you, listen up. If you're looking to improve your health and increase the amount of nutrition in your diet with fruits and veggies without the sugar, you're going to love our new creation called Future Greens. Future Greens is packed with vitamins, minerals, and filling fiber from whole organic veggies, sprouts, algaes, and berries, including kale, beet, parsley, collard greens, cauliflower sprouts, broccoli sprouts, spirulina, chlorella, blueberries, raspberries, and much more. We think it tastes great, and we even heard that some kids think that Future Greens taste pretty good too. All of our products at Wild Superfoods are lab-tested for purity and potency and formulated according to the latest cutting-edge developments in research, science, and medicine. We have extremely high standards when it comes to our health, and we know you do too. Guaranteed nutrition, no matter where you are. That's our promise to you. So check out Wild Superfoods, and please get in touch to tell us what you think. Just head over to wildsuperfoods.com to get the scoop on Future Greens, and you can save 20% when you select subscribe and save. All you have to do is visit wildsuperfoods.com to get the deal. Thanks for listening. Well, hey there, listener. This is Abel one more time, and I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Fat-Burning Man Show. If you liked it, don't forget to hit that subscribe button wherever you might be listening to or watching this show right now. And if you have a second, please leave me a quick review for the Fat-Burning Man Show. I read every single one of them, and every time you leave a review, it gives us a little boost in the rankings, and that helps other people find this show. And if you can think of someone else who might enjoy and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or a family member. And if they're like, what is this fat-burning man thing? That's a really silly name. You could be like, you're right, but here's the deal. We've recorded over 250 episodes of the Fat-Burning Man Show with thought leaders in health from all over the world. And so far, we've won four awards, hitting number one in health in more than eight countries internationally. 
We have more than 30 million downloads already, but we're just getting started. I can't believe any of this, by the way, and couldn't do any of this without you. So thanks once again. But here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode of the Fat Burning Man Show for free with zero outside advertisements, no outside sponsors, and no corporate overlords. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. I'll give you a, a second here just to type it in. And you'll get all the show notes, transcripts, and video and audio versions for all the past episodes of the Fat Burning Man Show for free. Better yet, enter your email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide so you can take your health into your own hands right now along with a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now. Enter your best email to get your free goodies with a bonus surprise straight to your inbox. This is Abel James signing off. Thank you so much for listening once again, and have a great week.